So we've been looking at the person of Jesus and the work of Jesus, and really kind of everything about the person and the work of Jesus comes almost to its uh, height uh, when we look at the cross. And that's remarkable, really, isn't it? It's remarkable that this central event is uh, uh, the crucifixion. It's unique in, in literature, it's unique in history, uh, that we have this crucifixion of an itinerant preacher in Israel as the focus of the faith of all of us today as Christians in 21st century Scotland uh, as something that it wasn't cobbled together but was clearly from before the foundation of the world God's purpose and plan. Remarkable reality for us to consider. And even in that short passage we read, uh, there's many references to Scripture being fulfilled, to the plan and the purpose of God being fulfilled with Jesus dying on the cross. And that's hugely uh, comforting for us that we find here something rather mysterious, something beyond our understanding, but something great and something planned by God and something clearly uh, accomplished by God, so that when we gather together in Jesus' name here, what has happened on the cross is hugely significant, and what has been achieved on the cross is hugely significant, which is why Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me, that we remember the accomplishment. I think it was J. Thomas who mentioned the last time he preached here about uh, the cross and, and the Lord's Supper, that it is not just the death of Jesus, but everything that surrounds the, uh, the accomplishment of Jesus on the cross with his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, his return, which uh, uh, we'll look very briefly at a little bit of that prophecy this evening in Daniel. Um, but this message is hugely significant for us, uh, more so than anything because it's a message about death, to people who are dying. Isn't that interesting? It's a message about death uh, to people who are dying. And it's a message that is intended to radically impact and radically change our death event. I don't know about you guys, but uh, I think about death quite... I think I've said this to you before. I think about death quite a lot. And uh, I don't feel it's a particularly pleasant thing necessarily to think about. Uh, but it's a remarkably good thing. It's a remarkably significant and important thing to remember and to know that our death is impacted massively by who Jesus is and by what he has done. And we really need to uh, take comfort from that this morning as believers. So I want to look at uh, this passage for a short while this, this morning and just say a couple of things about it. Uh, really uh, talk about Jesus being the king and then talk about Jesus being the king who was slain and uh, why that's significant for us. At the beginning of the passage we read, uh, we have this uh, uh, act of Pilate um, where I don't think he fully realizes what he's done. Clearly, he doesn't. But uh, probably just for badness, uh, towards uh, the religious leaders of the day, and maybe even for mischief, 
He wants to put a notice uh, on the cross that reads, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. And he couldn't possibly have understood uh, the significance of of that statement uh, and of that uh, inscription that he makes. But for us, uh, as we think about it and consider it, we recognize and remember that who we have here is Jesus Christ, who is uh, the King of Kings. We sung about that. We believe he was ascended to the right hand of the Father. He is sitting on the throne of heaven now. But Jesus Christ here uh, is also revealed as the king. Now, for most people uh, at that event, surely he was a hidden king. Uh, A notice was prepared and they crucified him with two on the others, one on each side, Jesus in the middle. Nobody thought that he was a king. Nobody thought uh, that he was the king of kings. In many, the eyes of most people, he was simply another criminal who was being convicted and uh, being crucified on the cross. And that is the story of the New Testament. And that's the story of the Gospels, is that Jesus came and hid his glory. And Jesus came and walked among people, and people didn't know him as God. People didn't see him and recognize him as God. Uh, There was this great need for them to look with the eye of faith. And for his glory to be revealed for them. I was at a wedding yesterday, did a wedding yesterday in Pitlochry, and uh, uh, one of the readings was from uh, John uh, chapter 2 that speaks about uh, the marriage at the wedding in Cana. And we've got that great story. And uh, yet, what we find in that story is that the, the point of what Jesus did, among other things, was so that his disciples might know and r- understand that his glory was being revealed in what he was doing. That was, I think, unseen to most people. But his disciples were given and saw with the eye of faith uh, that this hidden uh, miracle worker was the Lord of glory and his glory was revealed. And you know, for millions of people today and for many of your friends and for my friends, the glory of Jesus Christ is hidden, the fact that he is the King of kings, that we will fall down before, that we will fall on our knees before and worship as Christians as King of kings and Lord of lords. He's nothing to many people. His glory is hidden. And um, uh, that's a hugely uh, grievous fact for us to uh, recognize. Many people only see him as a crucified criminal. And so we remember that for many people, this glory of Jesus Christ is hidden. And we pray and we witness to people so that we... Uh, seek God to work in their lives so that they may see his glory and see him not just as a hidden savior, uh, but they will be revealed that they will see and understand and know him as the king of kings. And maybe you're here today, having come to church for many years, but for you, the glory and the majesty and the beauty of Jesus Christ is also hidden. That to you, he's not this king of kings, because he's sidelined in your life. At best, you give a nodding acquaintance to him on the Lord's day, but he is not Lord of your life. You don't feel your need for him as your savior. You don't bow the knee to him as Lord. This is the extent of uh, your recognition of the king of kings. His glory really for you and your life is hidden. When the communion cup and the bread will be passed. 
you will pass it on because you don't trust and love Jesus Christ. And you may be waiting for something to happen. And I say to you, and will say as we go on, because that's the theme of what we're doing, what Jesus has done is accomplished. It's finished. And he wants you to uh, trust in what he has done. Not try to do things, not wait, but to trust and to seek the eye of faith so that he is no longer a hidden savior. Because Jesus is, in that paradoxical way as we recognize, he's hidden to many people. As Christians, we can't understand that. For us, it's the absolutely the clearest, most obvious thing in the world to trust in Jesus Christ. We know there's a spiritual battle and we know it's a gift that we've been given by God as we've asked to come uh, with the eye of faith to know and understand Jesus Christ as Lord. He's a hidden saviour, but we also recognise, I think it's fair to say, I hope it's not too much of an extension of of, uh, the text here to say that he is also, uh, even though he has hidden his glory and he has humbled himself, he is also a universal king. He's a universal king. Pilate, insisting on, (laughs) with his insistence on truth here, uh, on uh, doing what he did, having uh, denied his responsibilities previously uh, to do what was right. It's almost like he's solving his conscience at one level here. He says that Jesus Christ is the King of the Jews, and it's written in Aramaic, and it's written in Latin, and it's written in Greek. So the enemies of Jesus are powerless to do anything about what uh, Pilate has written, Uh, but it's for all to see. This declaration of who Jesus is as king, it's in Latin. That was the language of the law and the government. It's written in Aramaic, which was the language of religion, and it's written in Greek, which is the universal language of the day, the language of commerce and culture. And it's as if this goes out, this cry goes out, that Jesus Christ is king, and he's a universal king. He's a king not just of the Jews, but he's king far beyond that. He's a king far beyond what uh, Pilate understood. And uh, Christ is Lord and God and universal king. And that, that is the truth that Pilate was uh, confused about and asked about uh, when he said what is truth. So we have this picture of a hidden king, that Jesus is a hidden Messiah at many ways that we see only with the eye of faith. He is also a universal king before whom every knee will bow at one time. But Uh, The passage also speaks of uh, Jesus Christ in personal terms and his ability to uh, deal with people personally and redeem people personally and uh, deal with their situation. Verses 25 to 29, you've got that beautiful um, uh, interaction between Jesus and his mother. Remember at this point, Jesus is suffocating to death. He's on the cross physically uh, under huge uh, physical pain and suffering, but spiritually even greater uh, as he heads towards the darkness of the hour and uh, facing the wrath of God and the hell of separation from him. And at that point, he looks down from his cross and his mother is there and he says, Dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took Jesus into their home. This small cameo picture of Jesus at work on the cross. Now, there's many things you could say about that. There's a, just a general loving son who is fulfilling uh, the law, uh, but in a loving way, his family obligation to make sure that his 
mother was looked after, provided for, cared for by handing her over uh, to his beloved disciple, John, uh, who would care for her. And I think within that uh, fulfillment of perfect righteousness right to the very end, there's also a picture of the, the personal nature of the salvation that Jesus provides, uh, that we recognize that Jesus, uh, in that moment where he had, uh, if anyone had the right to uh, be self-absorbed at that moment with the task that he was uh, undertaking, he at that point is sacrificing uh, his uh, concern for himself and reflecting that he is on the cross not to deal with his own needs and his own weakness or his own sin, but he is there as a substitute in atonement uh, for our sins. And there's, there's almost a reflection of that in the way he provides for his mother at that point and at the same time is the one who is providing for his people. So we have this king of kings who is providing for his people in this most self-sacrificial and personal of ways. And again, it may be for you that you think, Christ Jesus couldn't possibly be interested in my life. He's got far more important things. He is the king of kings. He doesn't know. He couldn't be interested in the minutiae of what's happening. The problems, the details, the worries, the fears, the concerns, the, the smallness of my life and the life of, of the world that is going on. And I'm saying this is the king of kings who's a personal savior, who knows intimately our needs and who has fulfilled and accomplished for us a tremendous salvation. He's this king uh, who we see in these different ways, but he's a king who we also see and know and understand is a crucified king. So he is a king who is crucified, but he's crucified not as a victim, but as a victor. So he's a victorious king who is crucified on the cross because he is achieving this great work for us. He says in John 8, 28, that he needs to be lifted up. Let's look up that verse, John chapter 8. Um, and verse 28. The, 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 the disciples didn't understand what he was telling them about the Father. So Jesus said, when, when you've lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am the one I claim to be, is added in parentheses. Uh, and that I do nothing on my own but speak just what the Father has taught me. Basically, he says, uh, before uh, you know when I'm lifted up, then you will know that he uses that great uh, uh, biblical uh, lordship name of God. I am the great I am. Before I'm lifted up, you will know that I am. And this is the one who Christ had this focus and this attention on moving to the cross, moving to the crucifixion. This king's choice, this king who came to defeat death um, and to uh, make that the focus of our faith and of our witness. For I uh, resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So however... However much we move on in our thinking, we can never move on from this crucified Savior because it's in his death that we have hope for our death. And as we get older, that hope becomes stronger and the reality of death it becomes more real and the reality of falling asleep in Jesus becomes more attractive than dying, uh, than the terrible thought of dying out of Jesus and coming to the end of a life where you've lived 
and you're separated from this great king of kings. And so he is the one who is crucified as a victor so that we sit here today and we will celebrate the Lord's Supper today as victors under the king. And it really is a hugely significant and important reality for us that Christ was crucified. And we also know, uh, as we, we look on further from this passage, we didn't read it, but there's the burial of Jesus. He's a king who is also buried. And again, he's not buried like a criminal. He's actually buried like a king. He's buried in a garden like David, his uh, forefather before him. Uh, buried in a tomb, a tomb set aside, never used before, a king's tomb, buried with the rich, in a new tomb, with a weight of spices that would uh, usually be reserved for a king. He's laid to rest. There's a kind of kingly aspect to even the burial of Jesus that fits in with uh, the scripture and with his calling and with his genial, genealogy as the greater son of David. So remember that uh, tremendously important fact in his crucifixion that we have crucified not uh, a man, an ordinary man, and it's not the crucifixion of someone insignificant, not even an angel, but the crucifixion of God, the son king of kings and that's hugely significant for us to remember in our lives as we will uh, leave from here that this is a risen savior who is to be our lord so he's the king and, and obviously he's the king we see more closely the king who is slain and we come before him as one who are people that uh, need rescued rescued spiritually and rescued uh, from the reality of physical death and separation from God. All that has been spoken of, all we've looked at in the past, we've looked at over the last number of weeks and, and months about the Passover, about Jesus being the Lamb of God, that he comes uh, to rescue us from certain death. It's all fulfilled. And we see it all being fulfilled in this chapter. The Lamb that is given, the Lamb that is slain, the Lamb whose bones aren't broken, the Lamb who is a living sacrifice whose blood is poured out. And um, I think there's, there's maybe lots of different things uh, that may be uh, symbolized and spoken of uh, in the spearing of Jesus' side uh, after his death. His legs aren't broken. He has died because he has given himself over to death, unlike uh, those on either side of him. His work is finished. gives himself over into death. And uh, as uh, uh, an assurance, uh, rather brutal and gru gruesome assurance that uh, those on the cross were dead, if their legs hadn't been broken uh, and yet they seemed to be dead, was that, uh, a spear was thrust into his side uh, in accordance with Scripture uh, and outpoured uh, blood and water. This lamb who is slain. The water... Uh, I think uh, medically, it wasn't water, uh, it was a fluid, but medically it symbolized that uh, this separation uh, within his blood system was a mark of death. But uh, as it seems uh, symbolic of the water that flows, uh, the living water that flows from, and there's that picture really of Jesus Christ as the one uh, who 
uh, pours out his life uh, and death and through the blood so that we receive life. He's the water of life for us and he's the fulfillment of all the signs that come for us uh, uh, from Scripture. And uh, through what he has done, we receive life and receive the Holy Spirit. He goes back to the Father and the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, is given to us. So I just want to say a couple of things very brief. We've looked at that very briefly this morning. A couple of things I want to conclude with. And uh, that is, uh, firstly, his own cry from the cross, uh, which he says in verse 30, which is that it is finished. Uh, When he'd received the drink, uh, he said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It could also be translated, it is accomplished. It's done. It's finished. And uh, we take him at his word. Do you get questions about that? Do you get questions about faith? Do you have questions about what it means? Is there mystery in that? Absolutely. Will we ever get to the bottom of that? Absolutely not. Uh, But the more I go on, the less I feel I know about the mystery of that statement. It is finished. But by faith, we believe that when Jesus said, on the cross, it's accomplished, it's done, it's done for me, it's finished. My guilt is removed as I put my trust in Jesus Christ because Christ has paid the price. The work has been done for us. We can't add to that work. The basis of our security as Christians will not be that we sit at the Lord's table, will not be what we can do, will not be our obedience. It is that we trust that Jesus has finished the work for us with all the mystery of that. And that trust enables us to move forward and live a life of obedience and faith. But that is not on what our faith is based. It's done. It's finished. And it's secure. And it's accomplished. And death has been defeated. And uh, our sins have been dealt with. Do you understand that? Do you understand how significant that is? And again, can I ask you, if you sit spiritually on the fence today, if you're around Christian people but have not made a profession of faith and trust in Jesus Christ, what, can I ask, are you waiting for? It is finished. The work has been done. He wants you to trust in that work. What more can he do? What are you waiting for him to do? To come in some different way? To come and in a spooky way kind of make himself more real? Are you waiting to feel different? He doesn't guarantee any different feeling. He simply asks you, if you're on the periphery and the edge of commitment but have never committed, to trust him that what he has done, he has finished. And that he has done it because he loves you. And because he wants you to put your faith and trust in him now as Lord and Savior. The work is finished. The work is accomplished. The work is done. There's nothing more to be done. In our coming to church, in our development of theological thinking, in our unpacking of Scripture, there's nothing more that can be done to finish the work that Jesus 
has come to. There's no new insight that will make the work more complete, may make our understanding of it more complete, but the work has been done. It's finished. God, the King of Kings, says it is done. So I think it's hugely important to recognize that, and I think then it's hugely important as Christians to... uh, It's hugely important as people, rather, to recognize that Jesus Christ is Lord and to publicly profess Jesus Christ as Lord. In verse chapter 12 uh, of John's Gospel and at verse 43, Jesus is talking, uh, again it's this whole thing about recognizing who Jesus is and uh, how significant he is. Yeah, at the same time, many even among the leaders believed in him. That's the leaders of the Jewish people, uh, the religious leaders. But because of the Pharisees, they would not confess their faith for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved praise from men more than praise from God. And then we find in the passage we read, uh, or we didn't actually read the last section about the burial, that uh, Joseph of Arimathea came and asked for Jesus' body. He feared the Jews. uh, But he was accomplished by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Now, there is faltering faith there. There's weak faith. There's stumbling faith. But the fact that they were willing to take Jesus and to take him and bury him in their own tomb, and that Nicodemus was willing to associate with that, uh, reveals that there was a realignment and the beginnings of a realignment in their lives and that they were beginning to understand it's more significant to worship and fall behind Jesus Christ than it is to receive the praise from people. And uh, that uh, was a hugely significant change in the New Testament church, wasn't it? That when they met the risen Savior, they were bold and courageous uh, and uh, were ordinary unschooled men and women but they had been with Jesus and they were not afraid because they sought God's praise rather than the praise of people. And I think that's where a lot of ourselves, that's where a lot of us find ourselves. Even as Christians and as Christians for many years, we're more afraid of our peers and the people around us and what they'll think if we profess and, and tell them about Jesus and tell him that he's our King of Kings. We're more afraid of their response than we are of Jesus and and acknowledging him as our Lord and Savior and what he thinks of us. May it not be that that's the case in our lives. Give us a holy boldness, uh, a a courage, and a gentleness, certainly, but a holy boldness to profess Jesus to whoever we meet and to tell them that it matters more than anything. We're not going to kind of twist, uh, sort of, Uh, fine-tune little theological philosophical arguments with people and say it might be nice for you to consider Jesus now and again or at the end of your life when you've got nothing else to do or or as an adjunct to your life. We want to tell them because we have come to that place where we see, well, look, he's the king of kings. Every iota of your life, every breath that you take, every sinew that uh, is in your life is a gift from God and uh, that he is the one Uh, to whom we give account, and that he has come to accomplish our salvation. He has accomplished it. He has won it. His resurrection is that great seal 
of approval on our salvation, which we were going to sing about when we sit at the Lord's table, because we remember it is not just the death, but it's all that the death entails and all the death has won for us that we remember as we serve him uh, and remember him as we sit at the Lord's table. So let's uh, just think about him today and uh, let's uh, rejoice that we can uh, share the uh, bread and the wine together uh, as uh, we do so.